Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast. This week we have something of a special for you. We're concentrating on Marriott and Marriott exclusively. Um, with me around the table here at the Table of Insight are uh, Andrew Sankster, the Editorial Director of Hotel Analyst, Catherine Doggle, who writes the perspectives at Hotel Analyst, and uh, me, I am Chris Bowne, who is the web editor and produces the daily news for our subscribers. Now, uh, Marriott uh, is by most measures, whether you measure them by development, pipeline, duvets or data breaches, the biggest player in the market now. And uh, uh, they've been leading us up slightly up the garden path because early in the new year it was revealed that uh, CEO Arnie Sorensen would not be turning up at the Berlin conference, this set tongues wagging. Uh, they then responded to several requests for information about certain parts of the business by telling us it was all going to be revealed at the big analysts uh, event, which was taking place here in March. And finally, it's come. So uh, Catherine, Andrew and myself all been listening in to what uh, the senior executives had to say and also what uh, they perhaps didn't have to say and also what the uh, analysts asked them and their answers to those questions. So uh, we're going to split this into uh, three sections. We'll uh, have a bit of an overview. Then we'll take a look specifically at the digital distribution and sales. And finally, at uh, the development side of the Marriott business. Uh, Catherine, what are your thoughts uh, regarding the overview? And uh, let's hear about that three-year plan. Indeed, I love a three-year plan. I don't love them as much as I love people's five-year plans, but three-year plans will suit me any day. Um, so yes, this is the Marriott's proof is in the pudding phase of the um, Starwood takeover. They've got through it. There was a little bit of a jiggle with some things that may have happened recently, but all our credit cards are fine now, so that's okay. And now it's onwards to dominating the world. Not dominating it everywhere, mostly dominating it in North America and Asia Pacific. But still, they have a massive, massive pipeline and a massive, massive estate. And they're going to take over the whole world. Things they did concede have been a little bit slower recently because they've been moving into more urban markets and moving more upscale. As we know, they've been looking at um, more of the luxury end of the market. And it's um, it takes time. If you put all that marble and gold leaf in, it you know you need craftsmen. I need to ship it all in from Italy or wherever you're getting your marble. And it's um, kind of you know not slowing them down significantly. But they did say they had uh, missed their expansion targets from their previous three-year plan. But however, they were on on to more brands and much as we heard from have heard from Accor in the recent past they're not opposed to having some more brands either so expect more brands and covering all of this um, growth and joy and wonder uh, as of course the huge loyalty program um, which is going to uh, take over the world drive growth in customers cut the cost of bookings and genuinely be the greatest thing you've ever heard of in the whole world I think the the growth message um, was cleverly nuanced here at the security analyst meeting, which they host every three years. And the nuance is, is this, that they are big enough to make a compelling case for growth, but they're not so big as to have run out of runway uh, to grow into. Um, so I, I, it's quite interesting. And I, I think just to clarify that they are big in terms of um, um, global brand, hotel brands, but they're not that big in terms of, um, say, booking. Um, so Booking Holdings is a company which is more than twice the size, certainly in terms of its market capitalization, and it books far more guests than Marriott gets close to booking. Um, and then if you look at a company like Google, it's 
has a significantly bigger presence, I would argue, in the travel space than Marriott does. So, and this has always been one of the drivers behind the consolidation and the, the need for for Marriott companies like Marriott to grow, and it's one of the big reasons they gave for the need to do the the Starwood deal. And I think actually the uh, that. Um, merger has so far worked out pretty well for them aside from the data leakage which um, not surprisingly CEO Arnie Sorensen was um, keen to play down he, he, he was saying that um, that most of it was actually encrypted data that leaked out so nobody can use it and as far as they can tell there's hardly any if any actual credit card details that have got out so um, it remains to be seen how accurate that is. But certainly in, in other areas, the merger is working very well. Um, they were very keen to play up the margin improvement they've had. 150 basis points have improved on in margins thanks to work on in areas like procurement. It's a very unsexy area, but very important area and an area that delivers to the bottom line of Marriott and indeed to the bottom line of, of owners critically. So uh, overall, I think it was a very confident performance. And I, I think the thing that um, I, I found particularly compelling was the case they were making for the fee model. There's been some discussion um, that maybe the, the industry needs to switch back to a more vertically integrated approach of owning the hotels and managing the hotels and branding the hotels. But I think Marriott made a very compelling case why it makes sense just to stick with branding hotels and occasionally managing them. And um, it, it gave... Uh, it gave they weren't forecast but it gave two central um, um, revpar um, case um, examples one percent growth in revpar over the next three years each year and a three percent um, growth each year in revpar but interestingly it even gave um, a crash scenario whereas in 2020 revpar drops five percent and it's still drives its EBITDA, its earnings before interest and tax, ahead um, by 5%. So it, it, it's it's uh, 3%, sorry, 3% growth in EBITDA in that 5% drop in RevPass in 2020 scenario. And that's, that's, that's pretty damn compelling, I think. If you're faced with a, you know, in a recessionary environment like that, and you're still growing pretty strongly. Just a reminder that if you'd like to read more about uh, what we have to say, then uh, you can find it at uh, www.hotelanalyst.co.uk. Though we're UK-based, we do cover the global hotel market. And uh, you can do a little bit of try before you buy at the website um, uh, before taking up a subscription and learning much, much more about what goes on on the investment side of the hotel market. So let's turn uh, now to the kind of digital distribution and sales side of uh, Marriott's world and what we learned there. There's been a, the, the revamped loyalty program Bonvoy recently launched and we've all been watching uh, very interestedly to see what happens in terms of the uh, negotiations with the OTAs and uh, where that puts Marriott's actual commission levels. Uh, now they've got bigger leverage. Uh, Catherine. There was um, no mention of um, the ongoing negotiations with Expedia, and you've got to ask yourself how long is this going to take? But, uh, you know, pick a number, roll a dice. But um, this is what I didn't learn in my Harvard MBA, clearly. Um, yes, yeah, so 
<clears throat> onwards we go with that. And in the meantime, of course, in the background, Google are up to all sorts of exciting things, which may well cut that out of the equation. But Marriott were very pleased with their direct channel growth and also the profitability, they said, of their um, of the bookings that they'd had through them, which they were very chipper about, and um, generally making the case for the loyalty programme, which they are looking to uh, expand into all sorts of exciting areas with supplementary services and whatnot. But um, I think one of the more interesting aspects of that was the number of enrolments that they've acquired through their joint venture with Alibaba, which is something we haven't really heard a lot about before. Um, and also the enhanced booking system they're planning on using with um, increased room selection, personalization, of course, everyone likes a bit of personalization, and peak and off-peak pricing, which uh, should add a certain um, a certain spice to them. Marriott have already been talking about how they are more interested in profitability than, than <clears throat> straight bookings, which is um, a stick they've been using the, to beat the OTAs with. So um, it all seems to be a lot more sophisticated in the world of Bonvoy, uh, name aside. Although I did see something online that uh, that whole issue of variable pricing may, may be a bit tricky to finesse, certainly with their, some of their bigger spending Bonvoy members who uh, like to book uh, well in advance and then suddenly discover the room is uh, available for less. Well, I think in the world of hotel pricing, as far as <laughs> things being a little bit tricky to finesse, we're really only just moving past the stage where people wandering around with billboards showing the price for the night. So I think anything at this point is going to be <laughs> a little bit more finessed. <laughs> so baby steps. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, in, in, in terms of revenue management, they're only just getting to the point of understanding what their channels, the different channels cost, which you'd have thought have been, you know, what what is your actual cost to sell through those different channels? You'd have thought that'd be one of the first things you'd want to get a handle on, um, but they're only just beginning to get there. I mean, I think, to be fair to Marriott, I think they're ahead of most of their competitors, um, certainly in terms of the, the, the their big global major rivals um, but they they need to accelerate this process an interesting number that they threw out was the 5.5 billion US they're spending each year on marketing um, and then when you dig into that you'll say oh that's as much as say you know one of the major OTAs um, booking or um, Expedia spent but Actually, when you dig into that, that that number not only includes their marketing spend, also includes the costs of running their sales operation, includes the includes the cost of running their loyalty scheme, um, including all those redemptions, includes the cost of um, actually the the tech and the central reservation system and so forth. So it's a sort of catch-all to try and make it look as though they're almost up with the the big guns in the in the in the marketing department, which they're not, frankly. Um, but the, the, um, they are making some headway. They disclose that um, it's just 13% of their overall sales are going through OTAs, and they managed to stop that percentage increasing in 2018 so all the expenditure they made on book direct actually succeeded in simply keeping in check OTA growth it remains to be seen you know what happens going forward with that and they admitted that 
outside of the US, uh, the market is much more challenging when it comes to controlling OTAs because OTAs have a much stronger grip in more fragmented markets such as ours here in Europe. And um, Marriott has, has much less wiggle room with owners to play with and owners are going to feel a lot more pain if Marriott are going to insist all customers have to book through Marriott channels rather than in the other channels which customers like to book through. Thirdly, talk about uh, how Marriott stands in terms of development and the pipeline and so on. There's uh, certainly lots of supply coming into some of the European markets now. Um, and as a fee-based business, they are much more uh, left to the devices of uh, developers in terms of delivering uh, the pipeline that they have in mind. Any thoughts, Catherine? Um, yes, I mean, they've, they've um, talking of things they've learned from Starwood, um, they've learned to be <clears throat> a bit more rigorous with their application of key money. A lot of the analysts were interested in knowing how committed they were going to be. And they said, oh, well, you know, we found a, and I'm paraphrasing here, um, we found a, a kind of a carrot and stick. If you don't deliver on time, you get less key money approach is, um, is working out quite well as far as development deadlines go in those more urban and valuable markets. So that's ticking along. Um, and as for the rest of it, there was a unusually a lot of um, quality over quantity chat because um, as I mentioned earlier they're big in North America and Asia Pacific but second to ACOR in Europe, Middle East and Africa, Latin America and Caribbean but they said that's okay because um, we are concentrated in the highest quality tiers and with the highest RevPAR markets so there. Um, so you know there's obviously room to be had there are lots of identifications of markets where they don't have all 30 of their brands so um, plenty of opportunities to go in there and um, obviously whatever they buy next will slot in perfectly I I thought the colour they provided on on the quality piece was quite interesting and they're very keen to stress what they're looking at is net present value of the contracts they're signing and just how rigorous they are in making sure of any of these contracts um, meet their thresholds and hurdles um, before they you know they're allowed to, to sign be signed and interestingly something I didn't know um, prior to this um, session um, was that half of the compensation for their developers is based on this net present value metric so it isn't just about numbers it's very much not just about the numbers piece although there's a in a critical part of the mix um, but the, the, you know they were keen to say the average you know of all the deals they signed was over 800 deals they signed last year the average uh, contract length was 21 years in only one percent of those deals did they actually have re, um, restrictions which went beyond um, up and down um, brands um, so in, in terms of the territorial restrictions on uh, um, that owners placed on, on on Marriott so it's quite it's quite interesting just and, and all this factors into how they do their NPV scoring mechanism so it's quite interesting this 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 the real heavy focus on this and I, and I think I think Matt, Catherine's about to bang on about why Marriott should totally and <laughs> jump in and say how they're never going to buy Accor because this NPV thing. If you if you look at the big global majors, and and Marriott put up 
um, four others um, to compare itself against. The big one, um, its closest competitor is really Hilton, then there's IHG, then there's Accor, then there's Wyndham. And of those five in total, um, the weakest in terms of NPV are Wyndham and Accor. And, I, you know, they're, and they're so much weaker than Marriott. I just don't see how, in terms of the Marriott model, they could ever digest Accor. It simply wouldn't work for them. And, and Accor is so far behind in so many critical areas and has so much exposure to markets Marriott's not interested in, the particularly the economy um, hotel sector, that I just never see Marriott going Really? On. Why not? It'd be easy to just bolt it on and then you've covered all, all areas... No, well, the whole the whole point is this quality piece in terms of the the value that's being driven out of these contracts, um, the sustainability of that value, um, and that, that would that would just regress the whole model, and they'd have to rebuild their whole model. Whereas you can bolt on Starwood. Um, because Starwood was actually, if you look at its mix, it was more upscale um, than Marriott. So if Marriott's going to do deals, I would argue that it's going to do deals in the luxury and upper upscale kind of end of the market. Um, it's not going to be doing stuff in, in with economy dominated. No, I mean, well, we'd all be very excited if they bought Kempinski, but um, <clears throat> member who wants to stay in a Joe and Joe? Hmm, hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, yep, I, I agree, the lifestyle bit, but then Accor is evolving its own lifestyle offerings as well. So, you, you know, you've got AC, you've got Moxie, you've you've got all of this stuff popping out. I mean, a lot of the, the Starwood, the strength of Starwood was just how far advanced it was on this lifestyle piece. So, I, I, you know, I, yeah, I think it's got a lot of that already. So, um, I, you know, I, I think there's a superficial attractiveness in the fact <laughs> you, you look at the global rankings by territory and you see, oh, Marit dominates... You know, um, North America dominates um, parts of Asia Pac and then is weak in certain areas where Accor is strong. But that's only but Accor is strong in the wrong sort of properties in most of those um, regions, and it and it, it has room number strength in in segments of the market Marriott doesn't want to play. Oh, I am as ever terribly shallow and superficial. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's all true, and I, and I embrace it. <laughs> but, um, but I think there's a lot, there's a lot, um, there's a lot talked about when you talk about loyalty programs with the journey and owning the customer throughout a lifetime. And if you have a customer who is staying at a lot of Marriotts, earning a lot of points, and they are part of a family and of a wider group, and we hear a lot about this with the sharing economy nonsense and all those kind of things. They want to be able to share their points and take their family places and create this kind of you started off as a you know low-level advertising executive and then you take over the company. If you want to be with Marriott for 40 years as a Bonvoy member, you are going to need access to the economy and the sort of Joe and Joe end of the market. Yeah, I think that you're, you're making a very strong case for why Marriott is just going to keep adding brands, and I completely agree with you. I think there's and why not add 33 strong, brands at once? Uh, so efficient. 
<laughs> the, the, I mean, the security analyst meeting was all about um, that, you know, reinforcing that that message that we that we love our existing number of brands and we're only going to add more of them. So this this notion that they were going to ever consolidate brand numbers, no, forget it. They are only going to keep doing that. And the, the argument they put forward is that look, for exactly what you just said, Catherine. In, ter- in terms of we've got to have a broad range of offers for for the punters out there um, in in all the different different used um, categories they might have um, which is one of the things they they said about their home sharing thing which is interesting you know this this they're using the the tribute um, collection brand they got through the Starwood acquisition for their home sharing they're saying they're making hardly any money out of it but they're saying there's value in it because of of what it brings to Bonvoy members particularly so and they're arguing that actually what they can bring is a level of consistency which doesn't exist in the mo- at the moment with if you're you know booking your home stays through Airbnb or through booking holdings offers um, Marriott's going to deliver a, a better experience here and and it doesn't see it as being a huge area of profit to profit for it but it does see it as adding value to those bonvoy members so precisely to your point they've got to broaden the um their their offer into all these different segments um but i i would still you know my my, i still well aside from the fact the french would never allow the french government would never allow anyone to take (laughs) i suspect i suspect you're right but i shall continue to push this rumor (laughs) even though i'm the only one who believes it (laughs) Well, there we are. That's Marriott, all about being control and delivering quality. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this uh, deep dive into Marriott, and um, we'll be with you again next week. Bye for now. <laughs>